0: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
1: I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Will Kane. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown.
2: Monday, June 12th, 2023, I'm Evan Brown. Is China listening in to us? China denies a news report that it's building a listening post right near us in Cuba. But for those watching... It's just part of a pattern of China setting up shop in our part of the world. And
0: we barely have a strategy for um, Latin America when it comes to U.S. economic and military security. And in the meantime, China's been very focused on the entire region, and that includes parts of the Caribbean.
2: This is the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition.
1: Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List
2: Cuba, the tiny island, a short flight hop from Miami, has been a thorn in the U.S. side for more than 50 years. Its communist rulers ingratiate themselves to communist powers. It was Cuba from where the Soviets might have attempted a first nuclear strike against the U.S. And now the Wall Street Journal reports China is building a spy station on the island, one that could be aimed at intercepting American communication from broadcast signals to data streams, things that we rely on to keep our economy and our defense going. China is denying this, and the Biden administration is also saying they're not. So who
0: do we trust? I think what we're seeing here is is collaboration between two of the world's oldest standing communist regimes at this point.
2: Dr. Jonathan Ward is the author of The Decisive Decade, American Grand Strategy, for Triumph Over China, released just this past March.
0: I mean, we have to remember, um, and I think the best argument that we're in the second Cold War is that many of the players are the same. I mean, we're dealing with China, uh, we're dealing with Russia, we're dealing with uh, North Korea in a certain sense. I think that's less attached to the Chinese framework, and when it comes to strategic issues, um, we're dealing with a few newcomers such as Pakistan, and Iran, which are, you know, against us. But fundamentally, um, Russia and China have come back as an axis, and you know, it shouldn't be that surprising to us that regimes. That are hostile to the United States are starting to work with them, so we're seeing this sort of um, integration even in the in the Ukraine, um, Putin's invasion of Ukraine, where where China is financing that war and uh, Iran is supplying munitions, and you know there is a global sort of web of anti-American um, authority, authoritarian states. So we're back to the future in that sense, and um, the the possibility of this Cuba facility, which right now um, we're hearing varying accounts on that, but um, assuming that it's really there, um, yes, I mean, this gives China um, an advantage in our hemisphere when it comes to signals intelligence and the ability to do that. So we're going to have to counter that. But what's craziest of all is that we still have not gotten our heads around the problem and have... Um, not developed a real American grand strategy. I mean, we're still uh, engaging with China economically. I mean, unlike the first Cold War, we brought our primary adversary into the world economy this time, and we've pumped them full of capital and technology. So now we're dealing with a superpower that the Soviet Union could never have hoped to become.
2: And that Russia probably wouldn't become either, at least I think not in the short term. Uh, But what's, I think, interesting for, for so much of this is here is this little island off the coast of florida which by all means should not be a player in world politics and it's probably been one of the most stable player in world politics because of of where it is it has found itself a, a friend of our enemies and in, in our backyard and still once again uh, this this threatening um uh, uh exotic place that's just a stone's throw away from us it, I, I know most of the nation does not live in South Florida, but for those of us who are in South Florida, I'm closer to Havana than I am to Washington, D.C. I could be there in a half an hour, in fact, have taken that flight uh, when we restored our diplomatic uh, uh, relationship of some years ago. Cuba must be relishing in this. This is this is new political breath for them, I would think.
0: Well, sure. I mean, they've, they've found their way into these crises by being a, a genuine partner to our most uh, important um, adversaries in the past. And that's certainly true in the first Cold War. And I think if we're going to see that return now, um, you know, that's certainly, uh, evidence that we're, we're dealing with many of the same characters. And, and certainly this is bad for the United States to, I mean, our adversaries have always wanted to operate in our hemisphere. Um, this idea that it's all in a way game for America, I think is, is a false one in a global, um, you know, economy. And, and you know, even the first Cold War was fully global when we look at what happened in Asia and Africa and Europe in the Western Hemisphere. So, you know, we're, we're in a world now where our adversaries have been building up trading relationships in Latin America I and mean, looking to deepen their advantages here. I mean, we barely have a strategy for um, Latin America when it comes to U.S. economic and military security. And in the meantime, China's been very focused on the entire region, and that includes parts of the Caribbean, um, you know, for, for quite a long time now. So, So, um, you know, this just reminds us that this is not only an away game for the United States. This is going to be a global challenge with China and they're preparing for conflict with us and they want to have advantages here in our own hemisphere, very close to home.
2: We used to have something uh, in terms of our thinking in this country, and it was for those of us of a certain age, it was drilled into us in our high school history classes, the Monroe Doctrine, that this was our hemisphere stay out other world powers don't uh, of course this was originally aimed at the at the european powers to not set up you know puppet regimes and puppet monarchs in in the western hemisphere but that line of thinking was always kind of referred to i think as we got into the 20th century that this was the rest of the world other other powers that might emerge asia uh and, and russia for instance would would need to keep out of our hemisphere this was our our domain have we lessened that doctrine? Have we abandoned it? Have we weakened it? You, you talked about the economic cooperation in, in Latin America, and I think perhaps one of the most telling or even dangerous aspects of that is the the trading with South America for oil, not in the petrodollar, but now in Chinese currency. That's particularly alarming and threatening to our our status as a world power.
0: Well, look, we're a long way away from the Monroe Doctrine. At this point, China has deeper trading relationships in much of Latin America than we do. So, you know, we've taken our eye off the ball, I think, entirely when it comes to, um, you know, our, our neighbors to the South. Um, you know, we have not. In that sense had a real strategy and they have i mean they've increased their trading relationships across the board um largely driven by the commodities cycle boom that, that you know the growth of china was driving for for a solid decade i mean many latin american um countries became exporters to china and then in the in return they're they've begun to become um, importers of finished goods and manufactured goods from china so we have not been playing in that game at all um you know, the way that the Chinese have. And in the meantime, their belt and road initiative with pe- which people tend to think of as um, Asia and Africa and possibly Europe, it actually extends to Latin America in their mind as well. So it's a fully global belt and road that ultimately envisions a cutoff sort of encircled United States if they really achieve their wildest ambitions. So we have a long way to go and we're going to need an economic engagement strategy when it comes to South America. And we'll need that for the rest of the emerging world. We're going to need to ca- uh, counter and dismantle the belt and road. And um, in the meantime, the meantime, letting their companies operate freely um, in our hemisphere is something we should question. I mean, the companies that are tied to the Chinese state, um, that are state owned or state backed enterprises, the state owned or state backed banks. I mean, many of the same companies that are operating in Russia and, you know, getting behind Putin's war economically are also um, operating in our southern, um, you know, in, southern, in, in um, South America and, the, and Latin America. So we have a very big job to do when I think it um, when it comes to the the general project of pushing China back economically, containing China economically. And I'll tell you, most people aren't on board with that yet. They don't see the connection between economic security and national security or between economic power and military power. I mean, that has just been thrown out um, in the last 30 years as we went for um, economic globalization and just assumed that our military power would um, remain in the prime position, but that doesn't work in history. I mean, if we allow them to rise economically, if we allow them to continue to spread their influence um, and ties across the world, I mean, they're converting that into military power that initially will be concentrated in the Pacific. But we shouldn't be surprised by the roots and shoots um, that are taking uh, shape of their own national security state in our hemisphere and beyond
2: we're speaking with dr jonathan ward he's the author of the decisive decade american grand strategy for triumph over china on reports that china is building a signals intelligence facility in cuba on the fox news rundown evening edition we'll have more straight ahead hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming
0: film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news
2: Let's talk about what this spy station in Cuba actually is, or or what we think it is. And, and Cuba, uh, excuse me, China says that it is. Uh, it that there is no spy station. Of course, they would say that that there is no spy station. Uh, in fact, a Chinese foreign ministry spokes, uh, spokesperson has uh, said recently that once again, this is a just a farce put on by the self contradictory United States. But what would China do with a listening post or a signals intelligence post in Cuba? Um, certainly, I can't imagine they just simply want to listen to Miami radio stations. I mean, there's, there's more to that than this. This is, again, not the, not the same era of the Cold War in that regard.
0: Sure, and their denials, of course, are about as trustworthy as those of the Soviet Union or the Nazis or any other, um, you know, dictatorship we've met with. I mean, they called their spy balloon a weather balloon, and they, you know, have denied that they would militarize the South China Sea. They said that they would stop uh, cyber industrial espionage. I mean, it's just nothing but lies out of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Despite the fact that, um, you know, our current administration is trying to put in guardrails and um, engage with China, and we're trying the engagement playbook again, and, and you know, at this point, I think we should understand how, how poorly that actually works with a state like this. But what they want to do in um, so close to home, I think we're still lacking the details on um, on this particular facility um, in the public domain. But bottom line, it appears to be a signals intelligence, um, you know, ambition here. The ability to, you know, as the Wall Street Journal points out and others point out, um, this would allow them to access sort of uh, real time intelligence and, and gather uh, signals intelligence um, in the southeastern United States so not just specific to Florida necessarily but um and that would allow them to uh, improve their targeting and and you know that sort of uh you know capability if if we were to wind up in a conflict or even in just a, a prolonged sort of cold war where uh, surveillance would be um, important to their own military planning and uh, sense of operations and what might uh, come if they decide to push the ball
2: too far. How do we defend against something like that? Uh, you know, we can our, our broadcast our internet signals or anything else that's flying through the ether is certainly uh, open to being listened into. So how do we, uh, and again, I don't think they're interested in listening to top 40 radio stations. They're probably more interested in intercepting military communications or, or uh, uh, banking uh, data being transported back and forth. Um, so how do we defend against something like that?
0: Well, sure. I mean, first, you'd have to look at jamming capabilities. I mean, if it's a, a known location, I imagine we have some some ability to to jam that and disrupt it and um, do that kind of electronic warfare against, um, you know, SIGINT facilities. So, so I imagine we have some good capabilities there. And at the same time, as you pointed out, I mean, yes, this is probably for the sake of, um, you know, military um, intelligence and and uh, that sort of intelligence, but China collects information on Americans uh, very very widely. I mean, as we saw with the spy balloon, and then also the discussion um, that has really been led by national security leaders and leaders in Congress about TikTok itself, which you know collects information on 150 million Americans. And you know, both our FBI and NSA chiefs have warned us um, about the the problems of that. So, so I think we have to understand that this is a state that um, is not just interested in. Um, military intelligence but is also interested in general intelligence on the united states Um, i mean it's a very broad concept of conflict that they have in the um you know people's republic of china so their ability to um collect and and act upon things across the board is is pretty essential to their strategy
2: dr jonathan ward author of the decisive decade american grand strategy for triumph over china thank you for being with us once again on the fox news rundown evening edition thank you evan great to be with you